This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guests, yes, plural, this week are Bill and Christy Goldtier. They are doctors of psychology and the founders of Soul Shepherding, a ministry which helps pastors, leaders, and churches, and all those desiring to thrive with Jesus in emotional and relational health. In their Soul Shepherding Institute retreats and training, they offer a certificate for serving as a spiritual director, and they're also authors of a number of soul care books and resources. They have been speaking and writing about following Jesus in life and ministry since 1987. They're opposite in personality. Bill is type A thinker. Christy is relational feeler. But they blend their styles and stories in their speaking and writing ministry, including Journey of the Soul, published by Ravel. Their newest book, Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith, uses the Enneagram as a tool to help you grow in emotional health, loving relationships, and intimacy with Jesus. I really loved this conversation because I think it is such an important topic when we discuss our faith and our spiritual lives and how those actually work in tandem with our emotions and our mental health. This is an important conversation because a lot of times I feel like these two camps get pitted against each other, sort of the spiritual camp and the mental health camp. But the reality is, is that they are working in tandem. And so we dive into that. We get into the nitty gritty in this conversation. Love Bill and Chrissy. You're going to love this conversation. Happy New Year. I'm so excited to kick this year off with Bill and Christy. So without further ado, on to my chat with Bill and Christy Goldtier. Well, it is a fun day. I love talking everything from relationships to Enneagram and marriage and so much more. And guess what? That's what we're going to do today. And so I have Bill and Christy uh, Galtier here with me on the show. Welcome, Bill and Christy. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Molly, thank you. It's fun to, to be with you and to connect with your audience. We're thrilled to talk with you about just some of the things God's blessed us with has been so helpful to us and pray to blesses you. Yes. Well, you guys just released a book back in September, which congratulations. Um, Thank so you. excited for you. And it's called Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith, Growing Emotionally and Spiritually through the Enneagram. And it's funny, you know, and this was not intentional by any means, but um, we've had some really good conversations around the Enneagram on the podcast in the last year or so. And this is, um, I feel like just the perfect 
kind of uh, follow up to that, because one of the things that we've talked about on the show in the last year, you know, when we talked about uh, how we relate to one another um, back in January, where we're talking about, you know, how understanding how the Enneagram can help us in our relationships. I mean, I had Krista Hardin in uh, where we were talking about Enneagram and marriage. But what I love that you guys approach this, um, you know, in, in a holistic way, but also talking about how our feelings actually affect our faith. And especially with, you know, so many people struggling, um, you know, insanely high rates of um, anxiety and depression, um, and just all those, those feelings that go along with that. um, And how if we understand who we are, and how God created us to be how those can help those things. So um, I preface all of that to say, uh, let's give us the Bill and Christie 101. So who you are, what you guys do, and how you got to where you are today. I'm a psychologist and I've served as a pastor and uh, Christy is uh, also a therapist, marriage and family therapist, licensed professional counselor, and she's also served in a pastor role and we've uh, been church leaders together. And then we started Soul Shepherding as a nonprofit ministry in 2009, ministering to pastors, missionaries, spiritual directors, coaches, uh, church leaders, business leaders all kinds of people who are helping, serving, leading others. So we we shepherd the shepherds. We we care for the caregivers. Mm, that's good. We also have three adult children and four grandchildren. So that is fun for us. You do so not look old enough to have grandkids. <laughs> I know our kids started young. So they call <laughs> them their littles, four littles. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well I also preschoolers. I need to know your skincare routine. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So well, I don't have any tips there. Sorry. No, no, you're good. <laughs> Probably you're good. should. <laughs> you're good. Well, yeah. I want to back up. Will you guys tell me how you got into these fields? Because this is definitely a field that you have to be called into. Um, and I love that you both are are in these fields, but in, in a little bit different ways. And, and you're also married. Did you, you know, how did you guys meet and how did you get into uh, this line of work? Well, we met in college. Both of us felt really a love for the church. And yet we were both a little bit disillusioned. Why is it that our Christian brothers and sisters and even in our own lives look so different than what we're reading about in terms of some of the things that scripture admonishes us to live and live into and to organically produce in the way of fruit? And so we wanted to study and understand the soul. So we kind of formed a spiritual friendship first around just sharing some of that. And then the Lord led us. We started dating Bill's senior year, my junior year, and then on to get our doctorates in psychology to continue to study the soul more and learn more. Mm. But also with that love for the church. So even our first year of marriage, which was your first year of grad school and uh, no, your second year of grad school, my first year, we were college pastors at a mega church because mm-hmm. we wanted to also have a lab. We're practitioners yeah. and we love the Lord and his body. So we got a lot of experiential knowledge along the way through our work in our own soul and growth in Christ and then in the church and then over a hundred thousand hours between the two of us in the pool of pain with people, just Mm. listening to them, getting to know them, journeying with them through our private practice. And out of that, the Lord called us to stop doing that as tent makers and begin to offer ourselves more in the world of meeting with people as spiritual directors. And we got trained as spiritual directors and 
more organically, even later we're called, and now we train spiritual directors through our Soul Shepherding Institute. So it's just been fun to begin to overflow some of the things God has taught us through the years about how people can change and grow and how we really can be healthy and grow in that wholeness of and health of soul. What about you, Bill? Well, I've always uh, been interested in uh, like health and Christ-likeness and a life that flourishes. And so Christian psychology was the way into really understanding people and our relationships with one another and our relationship with God. And so it's just been a, a wonderful journey of discovery and learning. And along the way, I realized that uh, I could have become, become a teacher like in uh graduate school seminary or, or graduate school psychology, because I had that personality, but I discovered along the way that uh, really I'm meant to be in, in um, a practitioner, as Christy said, to be relating yeah. to people. And so, like Christy said, first we did that for years as a therapist and then in the church world in a pastor role. And then we started reaching out to the pastors and leaders and uh, shepherds and, and caring for them because they pour out to others. And we just realized that all the people who are helping other people are prone to neglect their own soul. Mm. Mm. And so that's our niche to reach in there for the, the people that are really committed uh, in, in their relationships, in their work. They, they want to love others. They want to represent uh, God's goodness to people in, in different ways. And this includes people in, in the business sector. But these are uh, primarily people who are committed Christians and serving God in ministry in various ways and to really help them care for their own soul so that their work, their ministry can be coming out of the overflow of God's love to them. I have been always curious, um, and I would love for you to explain the difference between going to see or working with a spiritual director versus a counselor, because I have heard this talked about in a lot of, um, especially among pastors, because I've, um, I'm, I'm a church planter. I am not a pastor, but I am um, on, you know, I'm in leadership um, of a church plant and have been involved in a church plant for, um, you know, since the beginning. And, um, you know, while I am not a pastor, um, I have a lot of friends who are pastors. And so I'm, I am involved with a lot of people in pastoral roles. And, a lot of them I hear talk about, you know, seeing a spiritual director, but then they also see a counselor. And so, and, and I'll be honest, I'm just going to be real transparent and say, like, I've never asked, like, what's the difference? <laughs> um, so can you explain that to me? May, I'm mainly asking this question for myself as a selfish question. <laughs> we have uh, 40 spiritual directors on our staff. Uh, senior spiritual directors. Yeah. And then we have another 150 spiritual directors uh, earning a certificate in spiritual direction from our Soul Shepherding Institute. So it's a primary thing that we do in our nonprofit ministry. And uh, basically, a counselor or a therapist is treating a mental health disorder, anxiety, depression, uh, addiction, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, okay. uh, personality disorder, something that is disabling their ability to function well in their relationships and their work. A spiritual director is helping someone in their relationship with God uh, and through that their whole life. And they might talk to somebody who's dealing with anxiety or discouragement, a relationship problem, certainly faith problems and uh, struggles in their prayer life or, or their work, but they're not treating a mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. So somebody 
if they have a mental health disorder and they're in spiritual direction, then they also, also ought to be talking with a counselor. So it is confusing because there's there is significant overlap, yeah. and especially like in the process of therapy and spiritual direction is quite similar because it's, it's all about a conversation. It's confidential. It usually happens in a very focused relationship and, right. and so forth. But spiritual direction is uh, a lot more about spiritual formation, becoming like Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, using spiritual disciplines, and explicitly helping the client uh, draw closer to God and to follow Jesus better. And there are different forms or theories of spiritual direction as there are counseling. And so some right. are very contemplative where they're very focused on, on silence or even some liturgy, some of the contemplative practices and learning those. Some like the spiritual directors that we train are more psychology informed, more focused on all of our spiritual directors are very well trained in empathy, listening with empathy, listening to the Holy Spirit as they're listening yeah. to the client and helping the client to be able to discern what, how the, the Lord is working in their life. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I can kind of almost picture like a Venn diagram situation. <laughs> it's like there's there's differences, but then there is some overlap. Well, okay. So then the second question I wanted to ask, and again, as you were talking about this, and and I, I'm all about debunking misconceptions. And yeah. um, one misconception, and I feel like mainly comes actually from the secular world and not from the the those who would fall under the spiritual world or the, the Christian world or church world, um, but more from, from the secular world. And one thing I hear a lot is, you know, of course there's, there's the debate forever between science and, and faith and, and science and religion. And, and that, um, that the two are, you know, cannot come together, which is, we know, as believers is is not true. And that um, science in a lot of ways helps us to better understand and better see God. And, and we see God um, all throughout science and all throughout creation. And also there is uh, a lot of you know, kind of debate over, oh, well, you know, psychology and psychiatry and 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 the the study of the brain and and how our brain works, like again, is can be separated from faith. And again, in the church world, I don't see this, but I see it outside of the church world. And so I would love for you to guys to kind of maybe debunk some of those myths of how those, those things can actually be working together and how they work together um, and just how your experience has been of being in this world and studying this while also being people of deep faith and, and, and followers of Jesus. Something we say in the first chapter of Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith is that all truth is God's truth. Mm-hmm. So whether truth comes from science, uh, psychology, uh, or the Bible, or uh, your prayer life and listening to God, if something's true, if something's real, God is behind it. Yeah, and the truth is always our friend. It's, it's one of our sayings also, particularly as it relates to like a spiritual direction conversation or yeah. talking with a soul friend to uh, learn truths about yourself or about your relationship is always helpful to us. Sometimes it's hurtful and it's difficult to feel or accept, but the truth is always guiding us in a good way. Anything you want to add to that, Christy? I would just also add that our soul encompasses every aspect of our being. It encompasses the physical, the body. Right. And so understanding the science and the body, 
the the mind, thoughts and emotions, both integrated, both great gifts for understanding God and this world and relationships and ourselves and, and so much there. Like Bill said, the social being part of our soul, our souls are social. They interact with each other. Yeah. We're created that way as well. So in the spirit, the heart, the will, all every part, every aspect of our soul, we want to address that and we want to be healthy in every aspect. And we also can be holy in every aspect too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know one of the big, obviously, the, really the, is the thesis, is this what I'm trying to get at? I don't know. I can't think of the word right now. Um, but just the heart uh, of your book is you know, this idea of that our when we understand our emotions and when we have healthy emotions, that really does help us to have a thriving faith. And there is an important distinction, you know, I've about how the reality is, is like God gave us emotions, all of us, all of our emotions. He gave us the emotions of happy and uh, and sad and joy and and grief and pain and sorrow and fear and anxiety, like all of those feelings, like we were created to be unique be uh, feelings. Now that they're not necessarily all from God, in that, but that he gave those to us to feel all these different feelings. But it's, it's about having um, a healthy understanding of those feelings and how those then drive our decisions and drive, you know, our interactions with other people rather than, you know, being a fully like making every decision based on emotions, if that makes sense. Um, and so um, how like why do you teach this and and how does someone begin to understand how healthy emotions are a part of a thriving faith and a thriving spiritual walk? Well, one of the reasons we teach it is because it comes out of our own experience. We're wounded healers, but in very different ways. Mm. So as a child, I grew up in a family who didn't know what to do with emotions. They were afraid of emotions. I was told to snap out of it. I was isolated when I had emotions because my family didn't know what to do with them. It was overwhelming for them. So I did, I experienced a lot of shame for having emotions. And I even experienced a lot of self-hatred around being a sensitive person, mm. a person that felt things very deeply on, on many levels and got to the point where I would feel very rejected by others if I showed emotion, but also I would even reject myself for my emotions. Bill, you had a different family formation that affected you differently emotionally. You weren't in touch with your emotions. I'll let you kind of share a little bit. Yeah, where Christy's a heart type on the Enneagram and a feeler. Uh, I'm I'm a gut type on the Enneagram and I'm a thinker. Mm. And so I, I grew up having no idea what I felt and being uh, very busy, active in sports and uh, in other activities and, and just thinking a lot about things and right. wanting to do what was right and good and smart and uh, studying and doing well in school. And so I, I didn't have any idea what I felt until I was in college and uh, studying psychology uh, and uh, thinking that I didn't really need this for myself, but I wanted to help other people. So I needed to learn it, which is quite, uh, quite arrogant in retrospect and naive. Uh, but along the way, I realized, no, actually, I need to learn about myself, too. And I, I have some some dysfunction in my family. I have some brokenness. I, I, and uh, and so I had a professor who took me under her wing 
And uh, she asked me, well, so Bill, how, how, how do you feel? And I was like looking over my shoulders like I, that. I don't have no idea what I feel and or that it even mattered. And so I began a journey of learning mm. the language of emotions. Yeah. And uh, wow, it really opened up um, intimacy in my relationships, including with God and uh, as, as well as things that were painful and difficult. But what we learn when we study emotions and people and relationships and psychology is, is like we were saying, you know, the truth is your friend, including the truth about your emotions. Yeah. And so and now we've, we have research on this on emotional intelligence and how emotional intelligence is so important to success in business and relationships and in faith. Absolutely. Well, you kind of we, we alluded to this at the beginning and you and you kind of began to hit the nail on the head here. And one of the things the, the the main tools that you guys use throughout this book is the tool of the Enneagram. And, you know, there's a lot of people have big feelings about the Enneagram. They have big, big feelings about it. So I just want to say that for the people who have big feelings on like maybe the negative side of the, the Enneagram, just understand like it's just a tool. It's just a tool. That's really all it is. It is not like a really Religion, it is not the like end all be all of things like we are nuanced, complex beings. But if you use the tool in a healthy way, um, it really can make a huge difference. And so um, I guess just real quick, would you speak to that for the people who maybe are like, you know, I don't know, the Enneagram has some suspicious origins. You know, is this something that we can use in a healthy way? Like how should people that maybe have that mindset approach it? Well, I want to just communicate with empathy for people, their earnestness, their desire to steward their souls and be careful with that. It's a, it's a good and important question. And also to say that, like you said, Molly, it is a tool that can be used for good or for evil. It's just like the computer we're on right now. That tool has been spoken into and developed by people that aren't Christians, that don't maybe aren't even God-fearing. But it's still a helpful tool, and we would not use it because it wasn't developed just by people that think the same way, trust the same way, have the same faith as us, because it, it's a great tool. And that's the way the Enneagram is. It has been very powerful as a spiritual growth tool for me personally, because one of the things the Enneagram does is it reveals unconscious sin. And we can't get free of or repent or grow or receive forgiveness for sin that we're not even aware of. Mm. So that's been one of the things about this tool that's been so powerful for me personally and for the people that I've used it with as well. Yeah, so the Enneagram shows us ways that we're disconnected from God, which is the a basic definition of sin when we're not trusting God, when we're not uh, in tune with God's love and, and loving other people well. The Enneagram shows us those dysfunctions in us and our, our stressors, our pain, uh, stuff that we're denying. And in our work uh, in psychology over the years, that, that's one of the real keys that we get from uh, talking with a therapist or studying psychology or just growing in self-awareness even in uh, like a spiritual direction context, is becoming more aware of what I was unconscious of, whether it's brokenness, sin, dysfunction, hurt, stress, conflict in a relationship, that stuff. We don't want to feel that stuff very naturally, but by denying it or avoiding it or turning to coping mechanisms that, that tune us out, check us out, that actually 
harms us and our relationships. So growing in awareness of stuff that we were previously unconscious of is a very powerful tool for growing in our faith, becoming more loving to other people, being more effective in our work. And like we said, tapping into that emotional intelligence. Wow, that is so good. Yeah, just that awareness piece is really, really, really key. So while I said too, you know, that we've we've talked about the Enneagram a lot, but your approach to this again is a little bit different. And so this this Enneagram book in a lot of ways is an Enneagram book without being an Enneagram book. Um, so how is your approach a little bit different um to this? And what do you hope people really get out of it um as you know, another kind of uh, tool in their tool, tool belt, so to speak. <laughs> well, it, it, some people shy away from the Enneagram or don't go too deep with it because it's complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is challenging. But the good value of that is that we as people are complex. Our relationships, our spirituality and faith are complex. So the Enneagram is a very powerful tool developed over many years and spoken into by various traditions and very open to uh, a, a Christian teacher who wants to disciple people to Jesus to be more loving. And so that's how we use the tool. And in particular, we're focusing on the emotions in a way that is distinct and and has not been done with other Enneagram books, particularly other Christian Enneagram books. And so by helping people name the emotions that are often underneath the surface in their personality and showing them how these, especially these core emotions of anger, shame, anxiety, and underlying sadness and then there's lots of little emotions related to those four that we, we help you name and talk about. But those four emotions, we all live in those places of distress mm, at times, yeah. but deny that. And it's really embedded into our personality. And of course, we all want to live with love and joy and peace and power, which have emotional aspects. But in order to live with that freedom and that that uh, fruit of the spirit, the Bible calls it, we need to also deal with the distressing emotions of anger and shame and anxiety and the underlying sadness. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested, uh, you know, I'd never really thought of you, you talk about you mentioned those four core emotions. Um, why is it that they're all what one would say negative emotions? Like, why is uh, joy or happiness, not a core emotion, or is it? And I'm just misunderstanding. <laughs> no, it is. We, these are just the four uh, core emotions of distress. So, oh, yeah, we, okay. We, okay. We, we also talk about love and joy and peace and, and being, being energized. And, and for all nine Enneagram types, we, we talk about the positive emotion to cultivate. So it's just the, the problem. Some people want to take the Enneagram and sort of make it all positive because that makes it more, more fun. And maybe we don't want to deal with sin or dysfunction. But the problem with that is, is that if we deny, repress, avoid the distress, we, we lose the happy emotions and yeah. the positive emotions. So yeah. they go together. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Bill and Christy to let you know that my new book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, releases this year in just a couple of months, less than three months. You can pre-order it now. It's called If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith, Farming, and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room For. And you can pre-order it wherever you get your books. So wherever is your preferred retailer for buying books, you can pre-order it now. I would love it if you would pre-order it. It helps me so 
so much. It helps the publisher to know like how many to print. I mean, there's so many things that go into pre-ordering a book. It's really, really a big deal. But the other great thing is that if you pre-order it now, you're guaranteed to get the lowest price between now and when it releases. And on release day, you'll have it on your front door, your front step, your mailbox. It'll be there ready and waiting. I'm so excited to get this book into your hands. I cannot wait for you to read it. Thank you so much for your support and encouragement over the years. Oh man, I'm so pumped. All right. Well, back to my conversation with Bill and Christy. So um, I think you talk about this in the book and um, and I read a stat that for teenagers, it's even higher, but it's something like over 30% of Americans will develop an anxiety disorder in their lives. Um, and I read a stat recently and f- forgive me, I'm probably going to totally butcher it, but it's something like three out of four teenagers are experiencing anxiety and or depression like right now. Um, and so much of that, you know, the, the pandemic really, uh, escalated all these things and, and, but the re you know, anxiety is incredibly on the rise. Like I, I I was reading an article about it, um, just a couple of weeks ago about, uh, what we're seeing in in different demographics and the increase of it. And it just, it's not that it didn't exist a hundred years ago, but by far it is. And, and a lot of it is that we have terms for it now, whereas maybe we didn't have a word for it as much, um, you know, a hundred plus years ago. But how does uh, the Enneagram and, and really beginning to understand our feelings and our emotions in a healthy way, how does that actually help us deal with this rise of anxiety. Um, I mean, I'm seeing it even in the reality is like I'm seeing seeing it in my 10-year-old daughter where I'm seeing anxiety, which I like that I just didn't have when I mean I sure I was an emotional kid by far, but I didn't have quite the anxiety and worry that I see in, in my kids um that I had at that at, at that age. And so um how does the Enneagram and, and that tool begin to help us deal with this? Because it is a real societal problem. Well we talk about anxiety as repressed emotion. Fundamentally that's what anxiety is. It's when we're repressing fear or anger or guilt or shame. Uh, grief, uh, when these emotions are being repressed, then we just have a generalized anxiousness. And uh, the other thing we say about anxiety is, you know, we have this expression, I'm stressed out, but really it's being stressed in. When we have anxiety, we're internalizing external stressors in our life. And stress is not necessarily bad because good opportunities, challenges, uh, Christmas, coming up. I mean, these, there's stress associated with these things, uh, birthdays, uh, getting married, moving when you're excited about the move, getting a new job. So stress is not only uh, grief and conflict and painful things that happen mm. to us that are difficult or, or, or overwhelming responsibilities. It's all the, all the challenges uh, in, in life can be stressful. And when we're overloaded with stress or we have a habit of internalizing the stress, that makes for anxiety and that has a huge impact on our on our personalities and different personality types sort of different ways of dealing with anxiety and especially the the head types on the enneagram personality theory the the fives were the observers and sixes that are the loyalists and the sevens that are the enthusiasts especially have some uh difficulty around anxiety Although the tricky thing is they're probably especially denying that, so they might not be aware of it. Mm, mm, that's good. What about you, Christy? Yes, Molly, first, I just want to say I love your empathy for your daughter. Thank mm. you for that and your recognition of that for her. You're concerned for the youth 
in our world that are struggling so much and just adults too, really experiencing heightened levels of anxiety. Would it surprise you to know that I'm an Enneagram too? (laughs) Oh yeah. That's so fun. I am also. Oh, look at us. Look Look at at us, Christy. We're an Enneagram. What's your, what's your wing? Well, I first half of life, it was a three. Second half, it's a one. I'm sure being married to Bill is part of that. I'm a one. Yeah. Oh, interesting. We call the ones the reformers. Yes. Usually they're called the perfectionists, but I reformed the label because I thought perfectionist (laughs) was a negative label. So (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I'm two wing three married to an eight wing eight. So Uh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Straight eight. Yeah. Straight eight. There's no seven. There's no nine. He's just an eight and he's the best eight I know. So anyway, sorry, continue. Continue. Good. No, it's okay. But really that recognition of the anxiety and the empathy in response to any of these negative emotions, realizing that these negative emotions, they're they're symptomatic of a hurt, Mm. of a of an underlying need that has been unmet. And that's one of the things that the Neagram can help us. It's a wonderful tool for empathy. And we write a lot about that in our book, because as we come to understand each of the different personality types and come to really see what they are as a defense mechanism, coping, a way of coping with our hurts, right. a way of coping with our sins, a way of trying to secure ourselves in the world, then we can actually have a lot more empathy. So even as I shared a little bit about my family and the way that they didn't know what to do with emotions, I so wish I'd known the Neogram earlier because it was so helpful in helping me to understand them and also to love them. Because as we come to understand each person and why they are the way they are, we can have a greater empathy for them, for the hurt, for the wound, for the underlying need, for the lie of the enemy that they are oppressed under and trying to overcome by their own efforts their own defense mechanisms. So it's really a helpful tool for love, for growing in love. And as we offer empathy to each other and understanding our type, that's a a main focus of our book. We've got empathy for each of the emotions, but also for each personality type. And also you mentioned earlier, and this is really important, and it's also a distinctive of our book, is that that God himself had all of these emotions. Hebrews 4, 15 says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with us. We have one who is able to empathize because God himself became man Mm -hmm. in the incarnation and experienced every trial and temptation and abuse and hardship that we experience. And so he has a perfect empathy for us. God does himself. And God doesn't want us to be hiding our emotions. He wants us to be emotionally honest with him. Like the psalmist, you read the Psalms are full of beautiful, emotionally honest prayers with the psalmist is some of the precatory Psalms that the psalmist is saying angry things we wouldn't think will be okay to say in prayer, but they are. Uh, We see Psalms where he's expressing his fear. He's expressing his shame. And how healing it is because God reveals what he wants to heal Mm. in us as we'll cooperate with that. Or uh, other people, a popular saying today is, you know, if you name it, you can tame it. Yeah. So that's part of how the Enneagram and understanding our personality can really help us to name some of these emotions that maybe we're having trouble understanding and naming or where we're ashamed to or afraid to and afraid of being judged. And that's where... 
one of the reasons why we wrote the book too is we've seen a lot of misuse of the Enneagram. It's a powerful tool, but it can be used to hurt people deeply if we don't use it right. And so we want to use it in a way that really is loving and helps us take the power of this knowledge for great growth and great ability to grow in love and empathy for each other. I love that you brought up the fact that, you know, God, you know, part of the reason he sent his son, Jesus, was to so that he could empathize with us in such a unique way. And um, it was actually uh, I remember my husband, um, who is also not a pastor, but uh, he and I do preach at our church occasionally. Um, and it was actually back in the spring where um, in one of his messages, he was talking about how he was like, guys, Jesus felt anxiety. And if anybody ever says, well, Jesus never felt anxiety, like anxiety is like a sinful feeling. And it's like, no, no, no. Jesus felt anxiety, like in the garden of Gethsemane, when he is facing and realizing what is about to happen, where is, you know, to be crucified on the cross, like his capillaries are, he's so stressed and so anxious that the, his blood is actually like, oozing from his face. Like this is a scientific, like this can happen when you are under so much stress that the capillaries in your, in your face and in your body burst because you're so stressed and so anxious. And so like we have, I mean, it says it right in the scripture of just like his, he was grieved to this point of just being anxious and worried and nervous. And, but he overcame that he did overcome it. And, and so that's, I think an important point of understanding that like Jesus felt these emotions too, and he also overcame them. And so those emotions that you are feeling, like if you're struggling with anxiety, like if you're listening right now and you are just riddled with anxiety, you are crippled by anxiety, um, you can overcome them. You can overcome them. Uh, you know, John 16, 33, like in this world, you will have trouble that you might have trouble, not you could have trouble or there could be trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so, you know, trouble will come. Life is going to be hard. Like we're going to face anxiety. We're going to face depression. Um, we're going to face anger and sadness and all of those emotions. But on the other side, to use your word, we can break free into greater joy, greater peace, greater power. Yeah, that's so good, Molly, because we're looking at Jesus, uh, the Son of God, as the perfect human being. Right. And so in his empathy for us, he's validating our emotions. Mm. Uh, but it's not just about Jesus' feelings, as we're saying here. It's also about his faith. And mm. so it's in the mystery of uh, Jesus being fully God and fully human, that as a human being, Jesus shows us perfect faith in God. So he shows us how to have healthy feelings and thriving faith. He shows us how feelings and faith are not necessarily enemies. Some people think that they're, they're, they don't get along with each other, but actually being aware of our emotions and learning to care for our emotions and other people's emotions actually strengthens faith, strengthens loving relationships, helps us become more like Jesus. And so that's the power of, of the uh, empathy of Jesus, which, of course, goes along with his grace and his forgiveness of our sins and, and so forth. And uh, as we get, get a hold of the, the language of our emotions and learn how to talk to safe people about that, how to, how to pray those emotions through, that actually nourishes our faith and helps us to thrive in our life. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one thing I, I, I said that, you know, you guys talk about is this idea of breaking free into greater joy, greater peace, greater power. For somebody that is in the depths of depression, of anxiety, that sounds like an impossible task. And so what is it? Is it like, is it a, 
a matter of a tool? Is it just really beginning to do deep work, a core emotional work? Like, is it... I don't have the answer because I don't have schooling in this area. So I'm curious, you know, like what helps somebody who is in like just feels trapped, drowning um, in anxiety and depression or just somebody who maybe struggles with it occasionally and would just like to be a little bit more joyful? How does someone break free into that greater joy, greater peace, greater power? Well, I love even your empathy for them in this question, asking this question. Thank you for that. Somebody who is listening, who's feeling really depressed, you know, depression can be paralyzing. Yeah. And one of the hardest things to do is to take action. And yet action is curative and necessary. They're not going to get out of the anxiety and the depression alone. So I would encourage them to come out of the hiding with it, because oftentimes we hide when we have these negative emotions in shame, and we're afraid that nobody will understand what we mean. We've been judged, people haven't understood. So really, we need a safe place. And that's where meeting with a spiritual director who understands, has been trained in this, like our soul shepherds, or a Mm. counselor who's been trained and understand some place where they can talk about what they're feeling and their experience with somebody who can listen to them with empathy, who can help them find the words to express it if they can't even find the words, help them grow in that understanding. Certainly reading Healthy Feelings, Striving Faith will give them some language, some understanding, will help them get out of that self-rejection and shame, which is often really key and has a stranglehold on someone who's suffering from depression. Right. Getting out of the spinning and anxiety and feeling like they need to get more resources if they're dealing with anxiety or getting that sense of understanding of the stress they're internalizing. These are reasons why we wrote the book is to be able to help people get language and understanding and awareness and to receive and agree with God's empathy for them. Mm. One of the things that we have as in each of the chapters of the book is empathy statements, several of them for each emotion and type that we need to agree with. These are God's grace for us. This is right. the way he, he loves us and views us. But oftentimes we are starving our soul. Because we're refuting it. We're not actually agreeing with it and receiving it. It's a beautiful thing when you can read a book and realize that you're not alone. And some of you listening now feel alone with your discouragement or depression or with the stress you're under, the anxiety, and maybe you don't know who to talk to. And uh, so a beginning step is to uh, read a book like ours, and you're going to get wording for what you're experiencing that's going to help you to understand yourself. It's going to help you to pray. And then you're going to see Jesus come up close and personal to you in your personality. Whichever of the nine Enneagram types you most relate to, we're going to show you from the Bible, from the stories in the gospel, how Jesus is like you. Mm. And he has felt what you and feels what you feel. He's with you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's guiding you into all truth. And so that can give huge uh, hope and encouragement. And and as Christy has been saying, uh, finding words for what you're experiencing. And then if you can take a step, just a simple step, like going to soul shepherding and talking to one of our spiritual directors, I mean, it's fairly cheap, a lot cheaper than counseling. And they're going to listen to you with sensitivity and grace and pray for you. And and really, and they know that uh, the healthy feelings, thriving faith book that we wrote so they can guide you with your Enneagram type as well. Man, man. Well, I feel like that is like the button that uh, just like... 
perfect way to end this conversation. There's so much more I wanted to unpack, but I just love how you guys talk about this. And 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 I mean, to use even your word, uh, Christy, just the empathy that you have for people and how you have created these tools um, because you deeply care for people and you want to see people um, living lives with great joy and great peace and great power. Um, so, so good. Um, well, how can people best stay connected with you? And if they are interested in it, somebody's listening and is like, wow, you know, I... Uh, I think I am, you know, interested in a spiritual director, you know, or if that's something that they're just looking to explore or can get their your book or just follow and support your work. Um, how can people best do that? Thank you. Well, Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith is available wherever books are sold. We also have a video course, Enneagram and Emotions. That's available if somebody would rather learn audio, video rather than read. And that's available at soulshepherding.org slash Enneagram. We also have a free Enneagram and Emotions assessment there. You can engage with all things Enneagram, including some other resources we have there at soulshepherding.org slash Enneagram. And then and to meet with a spiritual director also at our website, soulshepherding.org and searching spiritual director. We have those 40 spiritual directors that we've trained on staff. They can book an appointment right from the website and meet over Zoom even. Awesome. And then if anybody is interested in being trained more in any of the things that God has blessed us with that have been such a, a big help to us. We have our Soul Shepherding Institute, and those involve four retreats, one on spiritual formation, one on spiritual and psychological development, one on soul care ministry, and one on relationally healthy leadership. And we would love to have anyone come that wants more training or just needs to get away on retreat and learn and grow and be nurtured spiritually and emotionally. Yeah, you are listening. You can be in a community of about 40 people with Christy and me. And uh, we we teach you, we listen to you, care for you. We put you into relationships with people like you. And you build friends. And then we mentor you in many different spiritual discipline practices of meditating on scripture and journaling and taking a walk in nature and even taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Because we we teach a, med- a method of scripture meditation called Lectio Divina, which is just an ancient approach to reading and rereading scripture. So as a companion to Lectio Divina, we talk about Natio Divina. Jesus took naps. That that can be a great way to connect with God. I well, love a nap. So I am all about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that just means divine napping. So yeah. <laughs> napping with Jesus. Jesus took naps. Okay, you or know like what? Apostle John laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, right? Yes, yes. I'm. Well, next time my husband's like, "What are you doing?" I'm going to say divine napping. Okay, because yeah. I love a nap. He is not. I think maybe that's the Enneagram Eight. I don't know. Eight's not like to nap, but he's not a napper. But here, me Enneagram Two, give me a nap all day long. Like that is like one of the biggest ways you could show love to me is like telling me to take a nap. <laughs> Well, and then doing get whatever. your husband to go on a sabbatical and I'll coach him <laughs> yeah. because that was my story. I never yeah. took naps until my first sabbatical uh, with Christy, one month off the grid of work, off the grid of being productive and uh, really resting in the Lord and uh, being in beautiful places and like 30 Sabbath days strung together. After that, because we help pastors and other leaders take sabbaticals and we have sabbatical coaches. After that first sabbatical, I, I said to Christy, wow, I, I've like learned to rest. Yeah. And I, I have this 
appetite for rest now. And since then, I've been able to take naps. Yes. It's been so fun to see you refresh. Napping. But both eights and ones on the Enneagram tend to be doers. Yes. They don't want to stop and sleep. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. My husband all the time, like, and, and I say, and I say this like lovingly, uh, cause he is just, he's amazing, but he is like, ever since I met him, like he's just, he has a work ethic, like unlike anybody I've ever known. And he is just never not doing it. Like he's the opposite of lazy at any point in time. And so rest is hard for him. Um, and he's, he's gotten better in his, in his years. And, um, as the Lord has worked on him to, to get him to rat to rest, but he still doesn't love a nap. He will rest his eyes on the couch on a Sunday afternoon, like while football's on. But that's like about the extent of it. Whereas I'm like, no, no, no. I will like change into comfy clothes. I'll put my eye mask on. Like we're talking full blown divine nappage in my bed. Big fan. (laughs) Power nap. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. This is such a pleasure. Um, Thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, so fun to be with you, Molly, and all all your uh, friends on Can I Cry on Your Shoulder. It's great to have fun together, even as we talk about the important stuff in in life and faith. Well, it's laugh on your shoulder, but crying is good. (laughs) You know, it's a play on words, but honestly, talking with two people in the emotional space, I love it. I think it's perfect. I would love to know what you loved about this episode. Will you let me know on social media? You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod, wherever you get your social medias. <laughs> and would you head on over to whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on? Would you click that subscribe or follow button? Subscribing and following helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the pod. Thank you so much for your support and for sharing this show with friends and for listening and commenting and reviewing over the years. It really does mean a lot. I love, love doing this and I'm so grateful for you. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye.